Welcome to The Dish, a 90s action movie review podcast where your hosts don't know too much about movies or food, but we're going to compare said movies to food. I'm one of your hosts, Mitch. I am the other culturally illiterate host, Zach. Welcome to the pod, Zach. Or should I say, welcome back to the pod. Are you as disappointed and deflated as I am? I am not because we have to just maintain the illusion that we're happy about the fact that we just lost an hour of recording due to technical difficulties. I am so happy about it. (laughs) I can't barely contain it. (laughs) It was going pretty well. We were about, I don't know, a third, if not halfway through the plot of Galaxy Quest. I'd say half. When uh, our audio interface conked out and we didn't notice. And didn't save anything. So here we are recording on the audio interface and directly into Audacity. And I'll probably make a live proposal to you here, Mitch, live as live as this pre-recording is, that this is how we do business in the future. We record on Audacity and the audio interface so that we have backups in case one shits the bed. I think that is prudent. Yeah. Man, what a bummer. It's going to be... I'm gonna go ahead and say it. It's gonna be difficult to like to to feel like this still is a fresh recap that we do of the movie. I know, right? It was going so well, but you know what? Though it's okay. We'll just come at it a little bit differently. Just pretend it's deja vu. Shake it off. We'll be fine. I'll come up with all new jokes. Yeah, just make the same jokes. No one will know the difference if you are convincing enough. My pity laugh isn't very good, Mitch. <laughs> I have a very convincing pity laugh, Zach mainly because I've been in contact with your jokes for a long time. (laughs) Oh, the same joke you made last recording, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, no, that was a new one. I thought it was pretty good. The viewers won't know. They won't know. Fake news. They know now. Fake news. Worst audio interface ever. Whoever designed the audio interface is a genius. A very stable genius. Must have been Russian. Other audio interface companies are a mess. It's a, they're messes. It's a mess. <laughs> Let me get you some ice packs for that computer. Your fan sounds like it's going to space. Great pivot to show, Mitch. We uh. go to space in this movie. <laughs> we haven't even... Like- Fuck the Marin. <laughs> Cut for time. <laughs> 30 minute podcast let's go (laughs) it's going to space again can you put your mic up to that fan for a second oh i'm still seeing no lines oh oh we'll hear it trust me oh wow yeah we can be loud dude (laughs) well i guess my computer can too as it goes to space which is a great pivot to a uh, movie today. You really just don't want it to go mad, <laughs> do you? <laughs> like, fuck the mayor. I don't want to talk about the war in, in Ukraine anymore. Which is what I was lamenting about in the the previous You were lamenting that about we'll it. never true. hear the light of day. Don't anymore. want to talk about Star it's Trek gone. bloopers. Don't want to talk about my ENT experience. So we're going to rehash all this like it never No, never let's happened. just skip it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm down to rehash it, I guess. Uh, it's fine. I think we handle disappointment in different ways, you and I. Uh, (laughs) Why don't we have that be our Marin? How do we handle disappointment differently? So you're over here like you're, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm bummed out too. You're over here like clearly bummed. I can tell you're bummed. 
I'm just going to bring more energy now because I know we have to bring more energy. Otherwise, we'll come across as being bummed, Zach. I mean, it's fine. It's okay to be bummed. People get bummed, dude. It's not okay. I tell my wife all the time, you're not allowed to be unhappy. I will not allow it. (laughs) That, our fair listeners, is the mark of a healthy relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Unhappy? No. I literally won't allow it. I mean, I understand. There are some things you, you can't you can't help it, but like Katie will sometimes get in this mood of like, I want to be upset right now, let me be upset right now. I'm like, no, not happening. Get in here. I had a therapist one time describe the sad, angry, the general mental states as weather. Mm-hmm. And he made the analogy of imagine being mad or sad or whatever as moving weather patterns and like if you get you know sad for example sometimes people are like feel like they should be sad because of whatever happened or they feel guilty being happy or something imagine like it's just a moving cloud and it's over you and you're sad and like or you're just you know not feeling well it's okay just feel it but when it moves on you move on too. You move on to how you feel in the moment. Well, I've got news for you, Zach. I live in Pleasantville. High 72, low 72, not a cloud in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, over in Zachtown, it is <laughs> it is a big old cell. <laughs> and that cell is bum. Is that cell a is called bum. Category bummed. five bum cell going it on. It is a category there? five bum cell. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah, that that kind of blue, not gonna lie, but uh, but you just it's water off your back, man. Yeah, dude, I'm just like those geese out there. Please, I have emotion. I'm not, I'm not a happy robot. I I get my bummed out days too, and I'll tell you right now, I psych myself out about this dumbass podcast on the regular. But I'm feeling pretty good right now. All right, how about you? Have I cheered you up, any Zach? Do you need a hug? You have, you have. No, I mean. Don't hug me, Mitch. No, I'm just kidding. Um, this is a purely conversational relationship. No physical <laughs> touch. Yeah, I mean, I feel good. I feel like I can very easily let situations that are setbacks be very deflating to me. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a coin toss on if I let it really affect me where I'm just like bummed and I don't want to have to redo it. Or if it's the total opposite and I'm like, I'm ready to go back at it and just like not let go until it works. Are you closer to that bummed side of the coin today? Oh yeah. Well, oh I'll, yeah. Well, between us, <laughs> between us together, we are two sides of the same coin of this this podcast. Zach. You mean you're the other side that you want to go back at it? Yeah, I am. I see. I feel like I'm ready to just fast forward. <laughs> so after they leave the space dock. <laughs> Oh, when they all died? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right before the Omega-13 device goes off. (gasps) Oh, my God, Mitch. We can't let the viewers know that's what kills everybody. Oh, man, yeah. Never saw it coming. Uh, You know what? One good thing that might come out of this, this catastrophe we just had. What's that? We opened the last pod like kind of putting everything in perspective of like, man, like, you know, th- there's a lot of bad stuff happening in the world right now. I feel kind of helpless. 
And here I am like, we just had this massive catastrophe of our podcast device malfunctioning in perspective, extraordinarily minor problems. A Russian tank ran over our audio interface. Yeah, right. Um, But one good thing that might come out of it is we've had a couple of our listeners who totally are not friends of ours. They're strangers who have emailed us. Please, please email us. (laughs) (laughs) But no, like friends that listen to the pod, often the feedback we get is, it's so long. It's really long. That's what she said. It needs to be shortened. <laughs> yeah, I guess too long is a problem in certain <laughs> situations. Um, and maybe the fact that we've already recorded half of... We, we talked through not recording the first half of the plot. We've already gotten practice of how to do it. At least I'm a little bit like, let's get through it. Maybe it'll force us to like be more expeditious with how we get through it and it'll be shorter. You expect me to omit details? <laughs> very, very high expectation you're making of me, Zach. That this is <laughs> <laughs> So the movie starts in four three. I was just about to... <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I didn't know if I should call that out as how you started it. <laughs> we start in a four three aspect ratio, Zach. <laughs> I love it. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Uh, for real though, this isn't just me being nitpicky about details. It is like the 80s TV set. We see a very campy sci-fi TV show akin to like Star Trek the original series. With all of the cliche characters and interactions. And it ends on a cliffhanger. And as it ends, the lights come on. And there's a man on stage at a Galaxy Quest convention. Talking about the last episode that happened 18-ish years ago. So the MC announcer, who is Sam Rockwell, is hyping the crowd up, and we're, we're shown that he's kind of playing for time. Something is going wrong, and they're playing for time. And we go backstage, and... <laughs> and it goes to space. They go backstage, and we see the cast and crew of the show we got a preview of in the last scene, ready to go out on stage, but they're missing somebody. Their commander is not there yet, and they are not happy about it. They kind of hate this guy. He the, He's made out to be a, a real DB, that being douchebag. Man, where in the hell is he? An hour and a half late? An hour and a half. I mean, this is unreal. They're going to start eating each other out there. Oh, did you hear? He booked another appearance without us. Not to mention the fact that Alan Rickman's character, Alexander Dane, who plays the, like, reptilian alien is having a nervous breakdown because he is very much stuck in the fact that he is a failed classical actor. I played Richard III. Five curtain calls. There were five curtain calls. I was an actor once. Damn it, now look at me. Look at me! Yeah, he, he's very, very much jaded about the career dead end he's found himself in. He's not going to say that line again, Zach. He won't. It's worth saying that this is very much a... God, we lost so much in the last recording. <laughs> it's fine. Don't worry about it. It's, it's a new recording. It's, it's a new day, Zach. <laughs> it's just nighttime now. <laughs> I know, right? We lost so many hours of light. Galaxy Quest. Did we mention the title of the movie yet? Uh, I said Galaxy Quest like in reference to the show. Okay. So today we're reviewing, we're reviewing Galaxy oh, yeah, Quest. By the way... <laughs> It's worth mentioning this is largely a spoof on 
Star Trek overall zeitgeist, not just like the show itself, but like fandom conventions, overall culture. And the position that the cast and crew of the Galaxy Quest show in the Galaxy Quest movie are finding themselves in is a position a lot of Star Trek actors have found themselves in as well. They are actors who have kind of gotten pigeonholed as like, it's the person from Star Trek and it's the only source of income they have because they just go to Star Trek conventions and it becomes a continual source of income that's just kind of latent. They don't do their acting. So this is where they find themselves. It appears we have lost our sex appeal, Captain. And the commander, who turns out to be Tim Allen, uh? finally rolls in and it's clear he's an e egotistical jerk. He's like, hey, how long? You guys have been waiting on me long, have you? And it's clear he's a William Shatner satire character. Yeah. I don't know, Peter. I can't imagine choosing life over television. He's he's so wrapped up in the fact that he's the commander, you know, making all these jests to his crew as he clearly sees them still from the show 18 years later. Your commander is on deck. <laughs> and they start to come out on stage one by one. And about this time, Alexander, Alan Rickman's character, tries to duck out. Go out and Tim Allen has to have the kind of come to Jesus moment with him to get him to stay and actually go out on stage and present himself to his loving fans. When he does come out, in a big screen behind him is him like waving a flag from the scene from the show. And he says the line and he, he just rolls his eyes. He's so done, so ashamed at the point he's finding himself in his life. They are at the tables doing the typical convention decorum where they are behind tables, signing autographs, talking with fans. And it's worth mentioning also, this is 1999 and this feels like a very Star Trek convention. There are Klingon adjacent cosplayers, people in costume that are cosplaying as aliens from whatever universe. Mm. This is before the rise of Comic-Con before sci-fi and like nerdy shit was mainstream right but it, it feels very real this feels like a very real star trekky style convention and so all the actors from galaxy quest are at the table signing autographs and everyone is very into it handing it up talking to the fans as they're going on their nerdy quest everybody loves it they're engaging with the fans except for alan rickman's character begrudgingly signing autographs and at one point, Tim Allen excuses himself to go to the restroom, and he runs into this group of uber nerds, people dressed up. They kind of look very kind of Spockian, very pale. Yeah. They're all dressed the same, and their their uniforms are pretty nice looking. Yeah, kind of bowl cut thing going on. Mm -hmm. And they speak very strangely. I must speak to you. It is a matter of supreme importance. We are Thermians from the Klaatu Nebula, and we need your help. And Tim Allen interprets it as some nerds asking him to come to some other convention that they have. And Tim Allen's like, sure, just pick me up tomorrow. Make sure it's a limousine. So he heads to the bathroom. And while he's in the stall, because every, every other urinal is taken, uh, a couple of dudes come in and are just talking with each other very loudly about how Nesmith, Tim Allen's character, Jason Nesmith, is so full of himself and it's obvious that the crew can't stand him and he actually takes himself seriously and what a hack and this really gets to him this actually this same exact situation happened to william shatner um so this really gets to him and when they go he goes back and sign autographs again and then a 
another group of nerds comes up, a fairly important group of nerds. We don't know that yet. And he blows them off loud. He tells them off and Sigourney Weaver's character. Sigourney Weaver is one of the main cast of the show. Siggy Weaves from Alien. Yeah. Notices and makes note because Tim Allen is usually the one of the most, if not the most gregarious of the main cast. And for him to snap at a fan, she's never seen it before. And so Tim Allen goes home and drinks himself to sleep watching reruns of Galaxy Quest only to wake up the next morning and find the same group of five-ish very strange fans knocking at his window. And he goes and groggily talks to them, obviously very hungover, but these uber nerds don't seem to take note or care. They're going on and on and in their like thesis to him, they mention that they are running from a ongoing genocide by like this international warlord and Tim Allen's not really here and he's like, okay, fine, whatever. Just come on in. We can get an LMO in a second. Let's them into their house, into his bedroom while he's getting dressed, which I found strange to say the <laughs> least. Yeah, interesting move. He does goat them though. You got to call him a fag, okay? Very important. Yeah, so he's like wearing a robe and bends over to pick up a shoe. Yeah, he, he like goes down in front of them. They're all staring at him and he just like goes down and fucking goats them looking underneath the couch for his shoe and he pulls up a shoe and he's like would you guys look for another shoe it looks like this please and this is where the audience at least is cued in that these are not just regular nerds because they start looking like up at the ceiling and around like <laughs> all the walls trying to find the shoe they get in a limo to go to convention the gig whatever on the ride the uber nerds start to you know they're really they're really in character so on the ride, they say, we'll describe for you the history of our people and the conflict with the aggressors and whatever the situation is. Tim Allen's like, look, I had a long night. I'm just going to close my eyes. And he goes to sleep for the whole ride. The limo pulls into some like back alley and you see like the kind of canonical alien column of light <laughs> encompass the limo and it lifts up. Tim Allen wakes up in what looks like a very sterile metal examination room. It's a great set, really. Really great set. He's still hungover, groggy, wearing sunglasses. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got the picture. Do you have pages or do you just want me to wing this? And he gets ushered by one of the Uber nerds into a bridge type of room that is very similar to what he's used to seeing on the show. This is great. You know, usually it's just cardboard walls in a garage. Great prop work. Good job. They FaceTime in with the person that they've described to him on the walk as the big bad in the situation. This guy's name is Saris. He's kind of like the Genghis Khan of their galaxy. He's just killing all of their people. And they tell him, you are going to be negotiating with Saris right now. So he sits down in the chair. Saris comes up on the FaceTime. I see fear that is expected. And he is this ugly motherfucker. <laughs> he looks like, I described him as an alien grasshopper coolio. What? <laughs> With how he's got these four little like articulated spider leg things coming out of the top of his head that looks like if Coolio's hair had a life of his own, which yeah, it does, yeah. but a more of a life of its own. 
and he's green and the effect looks really good. Yeah, freaking awesome costuming. He looks he looks amazing. He does. He makes demands and, and Tim Allen's like, all right, whatever. You know, like fire all phasers, torpedoes, throw everything we got at him. Tim Allen is basically John Waning, like John Waning around. All right, Buster. <laughs> and he's like, all right, you know, you're welcome, you guys. Thanks for having me. I'll move on to the next phase of this convention and basically starts walking out of the bridge. And a couple of the aliens are freaking out like, you're doing what? Oh, my God. Yeah. So they they take him out to a another room where he I guess he thinks he's going to be getting in his car, going home, whatever. And the guy who he's been talking to, Mathazar, gives him a, a little communicator. An interstellar vox. What? Hey. And he's looking at it. He's like, wow, this, this looks good, too. Great, great effects. The lights go out. Mathazar leaves. And he's standing in this room. And this light comes on under his feet. And then this weird goo envelops his whole body. And the bay doors in front of him open up. And as they do, you see that he is in space. And he sees a beautiful picture of a, of a galaxy that he's in the middle of. And he's launched out of it. And he realizes in this moment that, oh, fuck, this shit's real. I want to say here, too, that I remember seeing this in theaters and whenever he gets into this room and the bay doors open up, it went from like the four, three aspect ratio and it expanded out to like the 16, nine, like widescreen. It, it, the bars come off of the picture and it's like the reality of it sets in for both Jason Nesmith, Tim Allen's character and for the audience. Cause it all opens up. It was just such a fucking awesome moment in theaters. One that the director laments because most theaters are not on point enough to <laughs> widened their curtains at the same time the theater i saw it in knew it was up and and they did it and it was such an impacting moment that is i don't know that i've ever been in a movie where they did something quite like that right it was fucking awesome do you happen to know what the budget for galaxy quest was i have no idea actually 45 million dollars total it's like half of the fifth element it's half of the special effects budget it was 80 million for the special effects only is what i believe you said Sources were conflicting. Some said it had a $90 million budget, and then some would say it had an $80 million special effects budget, but I can't imagine those both could be true. They had a huge budget with The Fifth Element, though, truly. I know exactly what you're about to say. Mitch, I believe you. So I'm going to choose to believe... Motherfucker. Fifth Element had an $80 million special effects budget, (laughs) and maybe three times as much for the entire movie. A movie with you're so smug right now. A budget, <laughs> the fraction, a fraction of the fifth element. This special effects scene where the bay doors open is incredible. It's a different solar system. There's a Jupiter-esque planet. The starscape looks incredible. It is very believable and holds up incredibly well. Now, if we think back to Fuck the you. fifth element. <laughs> That was very cheesy and campy and looked like a diorama. I'm just blown away by the difference in special effects. For 1999, I'm not really trying to put down Fifth Element that much, but I guess this is more of a commendation for Galaxy Quest. This looks incredible for 1999. It does. And you're also not wrong. I'm pretty sure that what the Fifth Element actually did was they like had a black drape and they poked some holes in it. I, I think that's actually what they did. Reprehensible. <laughs> Unforgivable. Unacceptable. Unbelievable. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? 
Well, if you're Tim Allen. If you're Tim Allen, you're going to have trimmers on your pool deck at your house because you just landed from an interstellar travel you weren't expecting. <laughs> I wonder if you get um, if you get like jet lag, but you get goo lag. Goo lag? <laughs> wow. Too soon. I did not mean to make that joke, but here we are. Like gulag, like Russian prison? Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, that is a joke that would play so well if this was two weeks ago. Yeah. We live in a time where people are both more offended and less offended by things, so I can't tell you if that would go over well. It's just extra acutely relevant and perhaps inappropriate right now. <laughs> it makes me sad. I know. Same. So, Tim Allen. Anyway, back to our comedy science fiction movie. Tim Allen immediately goes to the like grand opening of a circuit city that the crew of the Galaxy Quest ship, the NSEA Protector, fun fact stands for not the Starship Enterprise, something very close to that. Anyway, he heads there. They've done this grand opening. Alexander very begrudgingly gives the line. By Grabthar's hammer. What a savings. It should be noted, too, that as he strolled up to this place, he runs into the, one of the nerds that, he, that was at the convention the day before, and they swap communicators, like the prop communicator and the, the real one that he got. Accidentally, they drop in, but pick up the wrong thing. Yeah. He's missed the op- grand opening. But he shows up when they're signing autographs, but he still looks very hungover and disheveled. So he's, he's raving to his crew like, Guys, I was there. I was up there. Remember yesterday at the convention, those people dressed like aliens? They were aliens. They were termites or or Dalmatians. Without any context about what exactly the fuck he's talking about. And while he's doing this, some of these uber nerd aliens show up and are like, hey, uh, we could really humbly use your help again because things aren't going well with Saris. And Tim Allen's like, these are them. This is them. Let's let's go. Come on, guys. Let's, let's, Let's do the thing. And they just are like, dude, fuck off. Like... You asshole, you didn't show up today. We're out of here. They're actually kind of upset with him for leading not only them, but these potential fans on in their delusional kind of quest or whatever. In their eyes, he's gone off the deep end. Right. Like As they're leaving, they're kind of like, you know, like, I can't believe he he's trying to get us to go do this stupid freaking job. And they're like, yeah, a, a job. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> He has not asked us on a job in a while. We could use that money. I guess they, they go in like the Circuit City warehouse is where they think he might be. And sure enough, one of the Uber nerd aliens is there. Just one. She greets them and says, ah, he thought you might come back. The commander had me continue transmission in case you changed your mind. And they're like, uh-huh. Okay, great. Yeah, sure. We want to go too. And she's like, okay, cool. Uh, so she's like four, four pods or five pods, whatever. Sam Rockwell's character, the like unnamed crewman, he's also at this thing and he's kind of tagging along and he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll go to, this sounds like a riot. She disappears and they're like, what the fuck? And they look down at their feet and there are these like white circles that have appeared underneath them. Tony Shalhoub, the guy who plays Monk, he is one of these crew members. I love his character so much. He's my he's actually my favorite 
of of oh, all really? of them. Okay. He's my favorite. He's just kind of like looking at a vending machine, like, "Hey, anybody got any change?" And they all you hear this like whooshing sound as they disappear. And they all land in another one of these like sterile looking transporter rooms. The goo comes off of them. They're all having like the tremors and, and shaking as well. What only adds to their fears and shock is on the other side of a door, they hear what sounds like the screams of 10,000 tortured souls. <laughs> Pretty much. And the door opens and in come four-ish of these giant man-sized octopi that look like mini Cthulhu's. They are horrible. And what makes it worse is their tentacles are wrapped around and kind of ripping these nightmarish proby devices that they start sticking into their ears and noses. A variety of speculums. <laughs> speculums, yes. <laughs> and they all of a sudden stop and change form into the uber aliens that they recognize them as. And the gig is up because they admit... Forgot about our appearance generators. And so it's clear that this is real, but they're actually in space among the presence of aliens. Sam Rockwell's character is named Guy. He lets out this loud, blood-curdling scream right here. It is, it's just so funny because it kind of captures the, the feeling that they're all feeling of this horror that they're experiencing. Else? I'm pretty sure that scream was not scripted, and you can tell because... Whenever he screams, it zooms out and you see Siggy Weaves jump startled. And that's because she was not expecting him to scream like that. They really lean into it, though, because they do it close in on his face screaming. Yeah, they do. So Tim Allen walks in. He's like, hey, you guys made it. And about this time, Tony Shalhoub's character, uh, they call him Tech Sergeant Machine, Fred Kwan. He lands, shrugs it off like it's nothing. He's like, he walks up, pats Tim Allen on the shoulder. He's like... What's wrong with them? I don't know. Come on. They're being brought along by Tim Allen and the Uber nerd aliens, and they are freaking out because they are actors and they don't belong here. And what the fuck? And Tim Allen's like, guys, our regular lives are fucking boring. Like, we have a chance to actually live the life that we are pretending to do. And he he manages to actually talk them into staying. They're, so they're in this spaceport, this giant spaceport. And they're, they're talking to these uber nerd aliens. Their race is the Thermians. The Thermians are talking to them. It's clear that they think that the crew of the Protector from Galaxy Quest are actual intergalactic heroes. You know us? No, no. I don't believe there is a man, woman, or child on my planet who does not. So they usher them onto a replica-built ship into a replica-built bridge that is the same exact setup and devices as from the TV show. The captain's chair, the gunner navigation position, all the buttons for launching weapons, missiles, probes, all exactly as they were seen in the show, according to what the Thermians call the historical documents, because they think <laughs> it's real. We have modeled every aspect of our society from your example, and it has saved us. Except that the buttons and dials and all the kind of geegaws. I was waiting for you to wow, say geegaws. Do actually function as they should. When Tim Allen and company man the bridge, it is a momentous event. Commander, some of the crew has requested to be present at this historic event. And it's time to leave Spaceport. Tommy Weber is the 
acting name of Navigator Lerader's character, the, the dude who was a child actor during Galaxy Quest's airing, he's got to pilot the ship out of this port because they watched his movements in the show, and so he's the one who can pilot it. I think that uh, Mathazar, the, the Thermian leader too, is like, you know, we're really great scientists and we're great engineers and we're great at building all this shit, but we are really terrible at operating it. So here you go. We built it off of your movements. Right. And so he has to navigate the protector out of the space dock. And it's a momentous scene. The music is the music is impactful and inspiring and they're going out of it beautifully and you see all the Thermians like in the port saluting them as they leave. <laughs> And then he starts to drift to the left, a little bit too far to the left. And all the crew is kind of leaning to the right, watching him and waiting for him, like trying to get him to go back on course. Guy is like, hey, you got you to gotta go back to the right, dude. And he shoves him off of him. And he ends up scraping against the side of the spaceport with this like nails on a chalkboard sound. It had to be 20 seconds. And they finally get out of the spaceport park. And they're on their way. Did you notice whenever they left the spaceport that it was a destroyed planet? No. Yeah. I have a little theory about that because there's something that comes up later. But um, I will go ahead and point out that this is where we noticed the podcast device wasn't recording last time. Yeah. So everything from here on out, we're actually going to have fun. <laughs> I've been having fun this whole time, Zach. <laughs> what are you talking about? I also want to point out that... Mm, mm. Are we still recording? Sorry. <laughs> I think we are. I see the red light. Yeah, it's still going. We're at one hour. This is also a good point to pause. And I don't know if we've ever explicitly mentioned this, but maybe this would be a good time to do it, given the context of this uh, recording. Very Star Trek-esque show. Yeah. We were very inspired to start a podcast based on a podcast we're a little embarrassed to admit we listen to. <laughs> we are both, obviously, perhaps our listeners may know, Star Trek fans. You've probably picked up on that by now with as many like Star yeah. Trek references as we make. Mitch has turned me on to a podcast. The tagline is hosted by a couple of guys who are a little embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast <laughs> where they review Star Trek episodes. And it's a great podcast. Mitch turned me on to it. It's probably both of our favorite podcasts. It's what inspired us to... Hey, if, you know, these two dudes can start from humble beginnings and, you know, organically develop their podcast into something we both love and a lot of other people do too, what's to say we can't hang out and we don't necessarily need to have like the glory and fame they do, not that they have <laughs> glory and fame, but like we could still do it, have fun and maybe have some people enjoy it. And yeah. that is kind of the genesis of our podcast. So if the up and coming dishing and podcasts that we present to you seems a little bit paralleled to The Greatest Generation. It's safe to say it was inspired by it. Yeah, a lot of our humor can be sometimes derived from it, like certain Star Trek jokes if we're watching a Star Trek episode. Because this is a very Star Trek-y movie, there might be some humor bleed over yeah. and, or reference bleed over. For example, I mentioned FaceTime earlier, and they mentioned FaceTime in The Greatest Generation <laughs> or when they're on the view screen. So if you want to listen to a... Truly hilarious and sometimes insightful and maybe embarrassing podcast. Go check out The Greatest Generation. Can't recommend it enough. Ben and Adam are two hilarious souls and they always have a great time and you can enjoy that listening to it, especially if you like Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
this can be edited out, but I am very excited to go be embarrassed listening to them in person in April. Yeah, we are. We're going to go see him uh, in D.C. Yeah. Dude, I cannot wait. That's going to be great. I am so stoked. If there's an opportunity to hang out with him at a bar after the fact, we're fucking doing it. Oh, I know. Same. For <laughs> sure. Now that Mitch isn't holding me at gunpoint to reiterate everything we've already said the first go round, <laughs> I, can, I can relax a little bit for the rest of the pod. All right. Let's do it, man. First, you hold Michael at gunpoint, and now me. (laughs) The good guys are at dinner with the Thermians. And Tim Allen asks, you know, what what beef does Saris have with you guys anyways? Tim Allen asks him, how does Saris know about the Omega-13 device? Because that's what Saris wants. Or the first scene with Saris, he's like demanding that they turn over the Omega-13, which... To Tim Allen is like, well, that's like, you know, the lore of the show. Of course, that's what you want. Mathazar, the head Thermian, directs him to, I thought this was insane, but in the middle of dinner, it's like a mess hall. All the Thermians are eating in there. He puts this like torture clip up on FaceTime in the middle of the mess hall. I am sorry. You deserve to be shown. (laughs) Yeah. Saris is torturing, electrocuting, torturing somehow. A Thermian. Previous commander, I think. Oh, a previous commander. Yeah. If you have any mercy within you, please, let me die. When I grow weary of the noises you make, you shall die. At this point, basically the whole crew gets cold feet. It's like, oh, fuck. Like, we walked into a really shitty situation. Like, (laughs) we need to just go back home and, like, go back to our regular lives. They're, like, ready to go, and... Whenever he asks Mathazar to get them their pods to let them go home, I guess. Begging your commander's pardon, sir. We can't launch pods at the moment. Saris will surely detonate any objects leaving the ship. Saris? Yes, sir. He's here now. Your presence is required on the command deck. So Mathazar brings the crew of, of the Protector from the show up to the bridge of the Protector in real life. And Saris is there. And he is pissed the fuck off because Tim Allen fired both barrels at him last time you can tell that he's been injured too because like he has a big eye patch on now you can tell his mouth is kind of fucked up tim allen's trying to be nonchalant he's like so saris how you doing and saris is like better than my first lieutenant and he holds up the spike with his head on it uh, i'd like to say i'm real sorry about what happened before the whole thing was just a, a just a misunderstanding deliver the device to me or i will destroy your ship and he tries to stall for time and he looks to Sigourney Weaver and he gives he like gives her the cut symbol, you know, like you would if you're actually in Star Trek and you're like, hey, cut the line for a second, like mute it so I can talk to you guys. He gives her that signal and he grabs Guy and he's like, hey, Guy, you see these red buttons? Push this and just fire all the all the fucking stuff, anything we have at him right now. And he's like, Tommy, get us the fuck out of here. Like he's he's given all these orders. All the while, Sigourney Weaver is like, hey, uh, hey, and he's just ignoring her. And he turns around and he's like, okay, yeah, what's up? Perhaps I'm not as stupid as I am ugly, Commander. About that time, Red, guy uh, sitting at the like weapons thingy. console is moving like. Moving toward the green thingy. What? Red thingy moving toward the green thingy. I think I think we're the green thingy. 
And Ceres has begun to attack them. They get hit several times by a couple of missiles. They get several bangers, bangers dropped on them. As the greatest generation <laughs> folks may say. They can't really return fire. They, they just turn tail and run. And they see what looks like a nebula, or maybe they could like lose Ceres. As they get close, they realize, oh shit, it's not a nebula. It's a minefield left from some prior war. And they take just about every mine to the face as they're going through it. It's yeah. basically like a 3D array of mines. You know, it's almost a big enough minefield to stick in front of a wormhole. DS9? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so they eat all these mines on the way through. Saros doesn't want to go through. I don't know why they didn't go around. You gotta wonder, right? Yeah. But I guess it's that big. It's a little bit of plot armor going on, but they make it through the other side of the minefield alive, but absolutely adrift. Still with power though, which is nice. The issue is the engines are dead. So Sigourney Weaver's character, Gwen, or I guess Tawny Madison, whatever, her job on the show was to repeat the computer back to the commander. Like that was that was all she did. It's funny because they're like sitting in the situation room. Welcome back from the situation room. The ship is damaged as fuck. What do we do? And Tim Allen keeps trying to talk to the computer, but he can't because it will only listen to Sigourney Weaver. So she's just repeating it back to him. You know, that is really getting annoying. Look, I have one job on this lousy ship. It's stupid, but I'm going to do it. Okay? Is that a joke that sometimes in uh, Star Trek, the female characters don't do much? Maybe it is. The potted plant thing. It could be. I could see that. I mean, this movie is a culmination of sci-fi references and spoofs. So... Why not? They actually have to hear, like, figure out a plan. So they have a um, McLaughlin group. <laughs> Issue win. <laughs> <laughs> they have this meeting where they're talking about, like, we're kind of fucked. Like, how do we remedy the situation? They're kind of in this moral dilemma where it's the actress from Galaxy Quest. And, and they're kind of coming up against this wall where they're like, we've, like, kind of royally fucked them. We don't know what we're doing. We're actors. We should just tell them as such. End the charade here. Let them say face and try and make up. So lead Thermian comes in. I can't remember his name for the life of me. Hi, I'm Mathazar. He's so great. And they start to try and gently break the news to him. Something along the lines of Mathazar, you know. Didn't you make any TV shows on your planet? Any theater, films? He doesn't quite get it. So they have to make a more explicit explanation. Is there no one on your planet who behaves in a way that's contrary to reality. And Mathazar goes straight to, oh, you mean liars. And at that point, they don't have the heart to tell him that they're essentially liars. Making an analogy, they try to reference, oh, you don't have any shows like, I don't know, Gilligan's Island? And everyone's everyone just is extraordinarily crestfallen. Those poor people. <laughs> and they they understand immediately. They don't the Thermians do not understand entertainment or culture. Or lying. We have only recently become aware of this concept. Everything that is entertainment are historical documents. It's all real to them. Yeah. They have no concept of deception. There's no gray area. You're either It's either historical documents or it is liars and right. cheats. But if you are saying that any of you could have traits in common with Saris... Ah, 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 ah. Did you know 
that Gilligan's Island reference is actually uh, apparently there are a bunch of people who thought Gilligan's Island was real. I remember hearing about that. Like it was like a um, they thought it was actual broadcast of these yeah. marooned sailors or whatever. Stupid. <laughs> I know. So they're trying to figure out what the fuck to do. Thankfully, Tech Sergeant Chin comes on the FaceTime and is like, Listen, we found some beryllium on a nearby planet. And we might be able to get there if we reconfigure the solar matrix in parallel for endothermic propulsion. What do you think? I just love that his character is the chief engineer, but he's clearly just relaying all the information from the Thermians, but he's doing it in such a disjointed way where (laughs) he comes off as such a hack. He's got like these three, you know, engineers down at the warp core. They get off the, the FaceTime and he's like, Guys, we did it again. We did a good job. And he's, come on, bring it in for a hug. He gives them all a hug and they're all so happy. <laughs> Fred Kwan, Tony Shalhoub's character, was, uh, he's supposed to basically be a dude who's high the whole time. What? That's why he's so nonchalant. That's why his attitude's that way. And uh, the other thing about his character is that he represents the Caucasian man who in old TV shows like Star Trek TOS was meant to play a, like, non-Caucasian character. In the original Galaxy Quest opener of, of the movie, his character like runs up to the screen like squints his eyes. He's supposed to be an Asian man, but he's oh, not no. an Asian man. Okay. Yeah. That is a very obtuse reference to that because there's no... I mean, nowadays you can pretty much overlook it and not even notice it and just take it as like yeah. him overacting. But in my research about this movie, that is what he was supposed to play. And the reason why he's named Fred Kwan... Quan is not his actual real last name. He also admits, admits to that later in the movie. Hmm, interesting. So they decide to head down to this planet. The protector is too large to go down to the planet. So they take a runabout <laughs> down to the planet's surface. And a shuttle. It's all the main cast that are in the shuttle. In the shuttle, Guy, Sam Rockwell's character, has an astonishing realization and an anxiety attack. He realizes that he's basically a red shirt. Yeah. He realizes that he is the character in a Star Trek episode where they go down to a planet and you see everyone you recognize. Okay, Picard down there, Riker's down there. Who's Ensign Williamson? He's wearing a red shirt. He died before the first commercial. Oh, he's going to die for sure. (laughs) Guy has this realization. He goes, oh my God, like I'm going to die and turns to Tim Allen and says, what's my last name? Tim Allen says, uh, I, I don't know. He's like, that's because I'm going to die. I don't have a last name. <laughs> this is his first of a couple of what made the movie so much fun to me because it's so self-aware of the genre that it's spoofing. Oh, yeah, it, it really is. So they land on this rock planet and they need to track down some of these beryllium spheres. Alan Rickman's character, Alexander, has been given a tricorder you know, like the little science box that can tell him where it is. One of the Thermians had programmed it for him. Should be mentioned, this Thermian is, his name is Quillick. Whenever he gave this to Alan Rickman was like, Though I am Thermian, I have lived my life by your philosophy, by the code of the Mactar. The Rick- alien race Alan plays. Yeah, whatever he's supposed to be. The Mactar, I think is what they're called. He gives them this box and they land on this rock planet and it's Alexander's job to lead them to the Brilliant Sphere. And he's Alexander, like, Alan Rickman, right? Alan Rickman, okay. yeah. To lead them to the sphere. And he has this scene where he like starts leading them in one direction. And he turns the tricorder around the other way and it starts leading them in the other direction. 
that's also a original series reference because in the first like season or so of the original series of Star Trek, Spock would oftentimes be holding his tricorder upside down. Oh no way! Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he does, in fact, though, lead them to this like mining facility where there are some beryllium spheres out in the open. They have an unexpected discovery because they see some structures that look like maybe they're mining sites, and they find a like artificially made looking structure on the ground that is kind of being looked over by these little maybe two foot tall blue alien looking kind of adorable aliens sure cute now in a second they're gonna get mean and they're gonna get ugly somehow there's gonna be a million more of them from off screen walks one of these little blue aliens that has a broken leg he's very gimpily limping into the same fray that every other alien is and it turns out it's a watering hole this little gimpy alien starts to drink the water this poor little gimpy alien that sigourney weaver has to be restrained from going to help did you guys ever watch the show all the while guy is like i'm gonna die first yeah <laughs> they all then go into meat-eating piranha mode and jump on this injured alien the crew starts to run away. As they start to run away, Sigourney Weaver says, Get out of here before one of those things kills Guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so they're, they're trying to come up with a plan again. Like, what do we do? How are we going to get in one of those spheres? And they start throwing out ideas from different episodes of the show. And they land on like, we should do the thing like in episode 81. Guy freaks out even more because he... <laughs> He died in episode 81. <laughs> and so while they're trying to hash this out, the aliens have disappeared. They look back and they're gone. So they decide to have Laredo and Tech Sergeant Chin like Tech Sergeant Chin. Tech Sergeant Chin. go up on the ridge and be spotters effectively so they can go and get the sphere. They go and grab it and they're rolling it out. And their signals didn't work because they're getting chased by like 500 of these little aliens. And in a feat of misplaced heroics, Tim Allen's character like tries to hold them back while they get the, the sphere onto the shuttle, and he gets left behind. They bring the beryllium sphere back to the protector, and these little aliens knock Tim Allen out. And we see later that he gets placed into a like gladiator-style arena. He wakes up being licked by some kind of alien pig and realizes he has to fight it. Somehow, the main cast on the Protector is watching him fight. They're orbiting the planet. They have his signal, I guess. You know, it can be explained away. Oh, they had some kind of intense imagery. Yeah, yeah. So they're viewing this scene from the Protector. And they're trying to figure out the transporter technology to beam Tim Allen up from the surface. But they've never actually done it on a person. So they don't know if it'll work. So they decide to test it on this pig that he's fighting and the whole while tim allen's like is this safe will, will this work he's very apprehensive about actually being beamed with his untested method they beam the pig lizard up on board and it is a horror show it gets beamed on the transporter pad inside out squirting slime every direction what what was that uh, i heard some squealing or something oh no everything's fine but the animal is inside out <laughs> And it exploded. What turns out is the pig wasn't the actual gladiator finale. There's like this rock monster called a Gorignac that they were chanting to have come to life that starts chasing Tim Allen. And this thing is massive. 
It is probably 20 feet tall. It's an unbeatable opponent. It is just a literal collection of rocks in a human form that can pummel anything in its path. You want to know something funny? Apparently, in the original series of Star Trek, they considered doing rock monsters, and William Shatner really wanted them to do rock monsters, (laughs) and they never did. And William Shatner saw this movie and was upset, jealous on the fact that they did rock monsters. (laughs) (laughs) So... Guy has the idea of crafting a lathe as a weapon. <laughs> Tim, I was like, what? A lathe? I don't care. Just digitize me out of here. Digitize me, Captain. Quan's having second thoughts. He's having doubts. Quan is the transporter operator. That being Tony Shaloub. Kind of the Chief O'Brien. And the Thermians are kind of comforting, reassuring in the way that they're like, dude, we built all the transporter controls based on what we saw you do. In historical documents. I'm sorry. It's very exciting to watch the master at the controls. And it's not until he shares a lusty glance with one of the Thermians that he builds up the confidence to beam Tim Allen out of there. And he does. But at this point, Tim Allen is shirtless through a scuff, through his scuffle with the rock monster. <laughs> yeah. Much to Alan Rickman's chagrin, yes. <laughs> so you managed to get your shirt off. Also a Star Trek Captain Kirk sort of deal, because he would very often become shirtless in his scuffles with the alien monsters. They're like celebrating. They've gotten they've gotten Tim Allen back on the ship, but it's all brought to a halt because Saris has boarded the protector and he's got Mathazar on a torture table. He's torturing Mathazar, and he's trying to get out of Tim Allen, the commander of the ship. What is the Omega-13? Where is it? What does it do? Do you think I'm a fool? That the commander does not know every bolt, every weld in his ship. I'm not the commander. And at that point, Tim Allen has Gwyn tell the computer to show the historical documents to Saris, who immediately understands what it is and that it's a parody and that it's fake. You have all done far greater damage than I ever could have. And he forces Tim Allen to tell Mathazar what it is that he is and that he lied. He doesn't understand. Explain as you would a child. We, uh, we pretended we lied. Aww. Yes. You understand that, don't you, Mathazar? And Mathazar gets the picture. And it's really it's really heartbreaking. Like it's the worst kind of torture Mathazar could endure. There's some kind of torture device that he's being hit with, but being told the truth is the worst form of torture he's had to endure because first of all, he Tim Allen's being forced to tell the truth. It's always worse to hear the truth when the person who's been hiding the truth is backed into a corner and they have to tell it. It hurts worse. Under duress, yeah. But also, he had so much faith in Tim Allen and the rest of the protector's crew that they could do anything. They've been in such dire situations. They can get out of any situation. In the historical documents, they always won. Mm-hmm. With Tim Allen on his side, it was a cheat code. It's fine that he's being tortured. He's going to win. Hearing that he's a liar was the worst kind of torture he could hear. And through his stupid alien screams, it was painful. (laughs) It was painful to watch. Gosh, Mathazar 
so the the actor who plays Mathazar, he is actually the one who came up with the speech, like the cadence and the weird dialect they speak in and the way that they walked. That was all his idea as the actor and they kept it. And he really does embody it and it makes it believable that he's an alien in human form because of the of his mannerisms and the way that he speaks and all. The grief shines through here even with that. Yeah. Saris He's, he sets the ship to self-destruct. He opens up a seal to space in the crew quarters, so all the Thermians are getting suffocated, and he gets the crew, the actor crew, and he's going to space them. He's going to blast them out into space. So they're getting brought down to like the cargo bay or whatever where you can open it up to space, and it's time for the actors to really shine. I think it's Tim Allen and Alexander. Nesmith and Alexander are getting put into this into this hold to be spaced like and they start to do 17. like a scene from one of their episodes of Galaxy Quest where they like fake get angry at each other and get into a fight oh, right. and they knock out one of Saris's henchmen end up pushing them both into the cargo hold Chin gets it closed and they space the guys so they've gotten free they're celebrating they're really happy they got over that but they see on like a cam on the wall that the Thermian crew is suffocating because all their Oxygen is being vented into space. So they've got to come up with a plan fast. This is where they start to kind of come into their own as a crew. This is a real turning point in the movie for them. They, they stop being tentatively, we're just actors. We don't belong here. They start to embody the heroes that they portray. Tim Allen assumes the leadership role and uh, distributes orders to everyone. Assigns himself and Sigourney Weaver to go shut down the core so that the ship doesn't explode. He sends Alan Rickman to go rescue the Thermians from being suffocated. And then he sends Guy and Tony Shalhoub to go reshunt oxygen into the room that the Thermians are suffocating in. Wait, Jason, what about me? What do I do? You're gonna practice driving. So Sigourney Weaver asked Tim Allen, do we know how to shut down the core? <laughs> and Tim Allen says, no. But I can call on someone who does know how to shut down the core. And he calls none other than the nerd that he got angry with, who's Justin Long, actually. It was yeah. his first feature film appearance. Did you know it's also Rain Wilson's? Uh, Rain Wilson's cinematic debut as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We see Justin Long at home. He's just like this nerd kid. And he is so excited to get this call from Tim Allen. Tim Allen's basically calling him, looking for directions on how to get to the core. What are the like blueprints of the gray space of the ship, basically, the Jeffrey's tubes. <laughs> he needs them blueprints. He's got to know how to get to the core and shut it down. There's a great scene in Justin Long's house where Justin Long starts to apologize for setting off Tim Allen at the convention. Look, I know it's not real. I'm sorry I was so over the top about my fandom. Wait a minute. Stop. Stop for a second. Stop. Wait. No ship. It's all real. Oh my God, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) Brandon, Justin Long's character, is going to lead Tim Allen and Siggy Weaves down into the underbelly of the ship to get to the core so they can shut it down. And they end up going through all these sort of tropey challenges, the sort of things that you would see that make no sense that show up in things like Star Trek obstacles. Like, why is this even here? Why is this a part of the ship? The chompers. Which apparently was inspired by Event Horizon, but it made me think more of The Rock. 
when yeah. Sean Connery has to roll through the fire gauntlet. Yeah, Welcome yeah. to the rock. On the way, they also end up like di- directly below the Omega-13 device, and we see that it's a real thing. I think Tim Allen Nesmith asks Brandon, like, what is it? And he has some theories about what it is. Most people think it's just a fucking huge bomb capable of destroying the universe. But he and his friends in their nerdiness have kind of like delved into the lore of it and believe that it is a device capable of turning back time 13 seconds. They make it to the core and Tim Allen's like, what now? What do we do? And Brandon says, just push the blue button. And so they do. They push the blue button. But the timer's still counting down. And... They're like, hey, uh, it's not working. And we cut back to Justin Long's house and he's been forced by his mother to take out the trash. And so Siggy Weaves and Tim Allen are like, oh man, I guess this is it. And they go in for a hug and then it stops at one. It always stops at one on the show. Luckily, the blue button stopped the core meltdown. So Tony Shalhoub and Guy need to get to the room with a valve that will vent oxygen back into the room with the thermians. But it's filled with some of Saris's goons. Oh, besides, <laughs> I just had this really interesting idea. Are you stunned? So they go to like a security room where they are able to beam the same rock Grignock monster that fought Tim Allen into the room with the goons. It's the simple things in life you treasure. He beams the rock monster in there and then all of Ceres' henchmen just like run and the rock monster chases them to the edge of the ship and busts out an airlock. It seemed like he was at peace once he went into space. Yeah, he was. He was like, oh, this is kind of nice. Float through here. After Tony Shalhoub beams the rock monster in, Tony Shalhoub is with a female Thermian. What was her name? Laliara? Laliara. Laliara. The same one that gave the gumption to Tony Shalhoub to beam up Tim Allen earlier. They like made eyes at each other. She cannot keep her hands off at this point, and they start just eating each other's faces. She half changes into Cthulhu form, and Sam Rockwell watches. Oh, that's not right. No. Alexander heads to try and free the Thermians, and he runs into Quillick, the same guy from before who had given him the tricorder, and they kind of chant. One of the like Mokhtar chants because Quillick's really into that to open up the seal on the door to this Thermian barracks. And they do. And then right after, at the point that Chen and Guy have gotten the valve open, they're able to go in and Alan Rickman is ready to take credit finally for doing something great. But all the Thermians inside. He has saved us. Commander Taggart has saved us. It's just not fair. He's like, God, I can't catch a fucking break. They're about to go and rendezvous with everyone else, and Quillick is like at the door of the barracks, and he gets shot in the back by one of Saris's goons who showed up in the hallway. I'm, so he's hit, I'm and Alexander sorry. brings him into the room. Quillick is dying, and not too bad. this is such a heart-wrenching scene. Quillick is like, I just want you to know that I've always thought of you as a father figure like I, even though I never knew you we never met like your culture has meant so much to me and it's, it's been like what I've based my life on and it's in this moment that Alan Rickman gives him the gift of saying his line thy grandfather's hammer by the sons of Warvan you shall be 
honestly, I, I kind of feel like the whole movie was almost like leading up to this line right here. It's so I literally teared up watching. This I know scene. it's so good. Like I'm getting chills right the now. The emotional range of this movie is <laughs> insane. It is fucking whiplash. <laughs> we were just laughing like 30 seconds ago about the uh, the rock monster getting led into the ship to kill all of Ceres's goons. It is it's really great. But at the point that Quillick dies. Alexander is enraged and he throws himself at this alien who has has killed him. I wanted to mention real quick that the Alan Rickman's character's name on the sh- on the Galaxy Quest show within the movie, <laughs> Alexander Dade, was Doctor Lazarus. Yeah, I described uh, Quillick as the Doctor Lazarus Stan, which is a term I know you learned recently. I did, but the actor's name is Patrick Breen. He also played a squid disguised as a human in Men in Black. And I just thought like, he, he is a unique looking human. I just thought how you have to be an interesting looking person to be typecast as a squid alien. He is an interesting looking person. There's actually even a Wikipedia page dedicated to aliens portrayed by Patrick Breen. Really? It's it's not like the actual Wikipedia. It's one of those like wiki.nerd Sure. .org or whatever. It's only two credits. C- apparently coincidental enough that there's a Wikipedia page dedicated to it. <laughs> but yeah, Dr. Lazarus or Alexander or Alan Rickman. This is a extraordinarily pivotal moment for the character because you, you see who he is, at, who his character is, is 100% validating in this scene. It's truly meaningful more than just some nerds at a convention who this is the only facet of their life they engage in. It, it really, really means something here. Yeah. They all meet back up. Alexander has pretty much gotten all of the Thermians into berserker mode, and they're just taking out all of Ceres' guys. Yeah. And then Tim Allen comes in and grabs him. He's like, come on, you're, you're doing great, but we got to go. Yeah. And when we see Alan Rickman, once um, Tim Allen grabs him, his head prosthetics, his head loaf, has started to come unraveled. He's got like gray hair sticking out. It was very reminiscent to me of Angelica's doll, Cynthia from Rugrats. Little specks of hair. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was also interesting that that was symbolic of him embracing the character. He's truly like intertwined with Dr. Lazarus. He has become Dr. Lazarus. Right. That, that costume change in the movie Galaxy Quest coincided with that. I never thought about that. You know, he never took off his head prosthesis uh, for the whole movie. Right. Even in the scene in the beginning when, like, Gwen calls him concerned about uh, Nesmith and his break at the convention, we see Alan Rickman, like, at home walking around his house, and he still has the, oh, yeah. the head loaf on. <laughs> yeah. So they're all in action mode. They've all taken up their roles. They head back to the bridge, and they are fucking on it. Tommy takes the wheel. Having practiced driving for like the last hour. Practiced by watching old reruns of Galaxy Quest yeah. and yeah. imitating what he did in the show. Yeah. Dr. Lazarus is on the sensors calling out what's going on. Wins talking to the computer. Great. And they head into the minefield at the behest of Tim Allen, at the behest of Nesmith. They're, they're like heading back towards Ceres at this point. Tim Allen wants Tommy to get as close to the moon as possible. So they do this and they end up in like a 
game of chicken with Ceres' ship. The protector is driving towards Ceres' ship and vice versa. And vice versa. They're speeding towards each other. And at the very last moment, Ceres is like, you know that when your shields are gone, because he's shooting at them the whole time, that we're just going to tear right through you. And Tim Allen's like, well, you should probably know that we're carrying a whole bunch of mines behind us. And they've got this huge cluster of mines. They're magnetic. That they've been dragging at the front of these minefields. They pull off just at the last minute. The mines go into Ceres' ship, and it's blowing up. We see Ceres run to the back of the ship. And everyone's celebrating. They've destroyed the enemy. Kind of a design flaw in that ship, right? Just the... In Sarah's ship, it's reminiscent of a oh, it's reminiscent of a whale shark feeding. Oh yeah, yeah, it's, it's just, just a, a big giant hole. hole, a gape in the front of the ship that seemingly leads to the warp core. Yeah, so they actually took inspiration from a couple of different things. The ship designs, the protector is an inverse Enterprise. The Enterprise, as we know it, like the the D, has a big flat round saucer section and then like straight cylindrical nacelles right yeah. the protector has a long cylindrical oh crew section and then two big rounded nacelles so it's oh. like the it's the opposite and then saris's ship at least the rear of it was based on the romulan ships that we're used to seeing in tng yeah so they're all celebrating they've defeated the enemy they're ready to go home and mathazar comes out he's in good spirits the crew has gotten the upper hand the ship was a marvel, as big as this. A very clever deception indeed. Tommy's like, we'll have to head back through the wormhole, but we should be able to get there no problem. Don't you mean space butthole? <laughs> <laughs> they are headed towards Earth, victorious. They go through the space butthole. They're back on the right side. Dr. Lazarus, Alan Rickman, kind of calls out last second. Hey, there was a, uh, a weird power surge coming from Saris's ship. Tim Allen's like, ah, it's fine. We'll worry about it after we get our celebration on Earth. At that moment, Tech Sergeant Quan, Monk. Tech Sergeant Jack. There's so many names for everyone. God, it's, it's tough whenever it's just an acting name and a character name. And now it's three. It's the actual actor's name. The name of the actor that they're playing in the movie and then it's the name of the character they play in the movie and the show. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. So anyway, Fred, Tech Sergeant Quan, comes up on the bridge. Tech Sergeant Chen. Tim Allen's like, what are you doing here? You don't, you're not supposed to be up here. Tech Sergeant Chen shoots him. And he immediately decloaks, I guess, and reveals himself to be Ceres, who then starts just massacring the entire bridge crew along with the Thermians that run the bridge. And Tim Allen is watching this dying from the ground. Everyone is getting shot. Laredo, Sigourney Weaver, Alexander, Mathazar, everyone is dying. And he manages to... This, this, probably cut that part. This doesn't have the feel of... You know, sometimes in action movies, there will be like a dream sequence and it feels like a dream sequence. Mm -hmm. This has the feel of everything is fucked and like what is happening? How is everyone dying last minute? It gives it like the slow-mo legitimacy of like where you're just shell-shocked. Yeah. Like you're looking through a shell-shocked viewpoint and it's real. 
And it makes sense too because like they put themselves in the minds of their characters for the last however long to overcome this hardship and they were so happy to be through with it. And that's got to be like a huge mental relief. Oh, but guess what? Reality's back. Snap back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. Yeah. And Tim Allen is able to get to his knees and call out to Mathazar. Activate Omega-13. Let's fucking roll the dice on what this is. Were you thinking to blow up the universe? (laughs) (laughs) Or we're going to go back in time. (laughs) And they're able to pull it off. They activate Omega-13. They go back 13 seconds. And they get a second shot at this. It all starts again. They've just come out of the space butthole. Tech Sergeant Chin comes out of the elevator, but Tim Allen's ready. He runs over and decks the guy. The rest of the crew's like, what the fuck are you, are you doing? And they restrain him. And at that point, Saris decloaks and gets up and he's about to shoot everybody again. But Mathazar comes out of the frame from the side and just kicks his ass with his cane because he's hobbling after his torture. And they make it back to Earth, or at least they overcome this hardship. But now... The ship is stuck accelerating. It's hurtling towards Earth. They can't slow it down, so they've got to separate the saucer section. <laughs> Begin emergency evacuation. Stand by for saucer separation. Mr. LaForge. It's odd that after activating Omega-13, only Tim Allen seems to have a recollection of events prior to activating Omega-13. Maybe Mathazar, too. But I agree. Like, Why is it that he remembers? All he did was push a button. It works for the plot. So they have to separate the ship because they can't slow down the main ship. All the Thermians evacuate to the main ship. It's just the humans left on it, plus the alien that Tech Sergeant Chin has fallen in love with. Um, they all get to the, the command section and they eject. So the command section is just this like elongated section of the ship, busts out of the top of it. And they pilot the ship into Los Angeles where there's another convention going on. Another Galaxy Quest convention that they're supposed to be at. That they're supposed to be at, yeah. <laughs> in fact, we even see at Brandon's house, he's like running out the door with a handful of fireworks and his parents are watching TV. And on the news, it's showing how like the Galaxy Quest crew are all no-shows at this convention downtown. Brandon goes out to the convention with these fireworks and leads them in. And this gigantic command section of this ship crash lands into the parking lot and ends up busting into the convention center right up to the stage. Hell of an entrance. Right? (laughs) Very lucky no one was terribly injured or killed. (laughs) I know. It's a minor catastrophe, but everyone seems to think it's maybe a part of the show because the crew hatch opens and emerges one by one members of the main cast and the bewildered MC who is not Sam Rockwell, it's someone else, not Guy, begins to call him out as if this was the intended entrance of the cast. And they emerge unwittingly in the middle of the convention, but they play along anyways, as if they meant to do this. This is a hell of a show. What adds to the show, Saris is not dead. Saris comes out after everyone. The threat is not over, but he's very quickly dealt with. Tim Allen does a tactical roll and shoots him with his phaser, I guess. Yeah, his dustbuster. His dustbuster. <laughs> Saris basically explodes, implodes. Some he basically just rips out of the fabric of time itself. It's funny to me that it was like a cheesy like firework effect when he was killed. Yeah, yeah. It, it's almost like when uh, 
Obi-Wan Kenobi gets hit with the lightsaber in the Empire Strikes Back. just falls to the ground. Yeah. 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 Not what you were expecting. No, not at all. But if I was a Galaxy Quest super fan, a equestrian, and saw that, I would think it was just special effects. And, and they do. And they do, the whole, yeah. The whole, stadium, the whole convention center does. At the end of the grand entrance, Tim Allen is at, at front and center of the stage, spotlights on him. And it's clear that he has grown from a self-centered, self-absorbed actor to a bona fide leader because he calls the rest of the main cast up to share the spotlight and the adoration of things with him to be up at the front of the stage alongside him. And they all take a bow, and it's beautiful. And they come back up, and we get to see the intro to Galaxy Quest Reboot with all of the characters in great makeup and great sets with one extra that played by Guy Fleekman as the security chief who has a last name now it's great and we roll to credits What you think, Mitch? <sighs> Dude, Galaxy Quest is one of my absolute favorite movies. It is rich with nostalgia. Has the paint of nostalgia worn thin? It has not. Not <laughs> in this case. This is a movie that we had like on VHS, I think, and it, that stayed. When I was a kid growing up, my grandfather had a little trailer down at the beach. And we had a couple of movies that just stayed down there. And this was one of them. And I would watch this movie like every time we went down there. We'd spend full summers down there. And I love it. I hadn't seen it in quite a while. Rewatching it, it was just as fun as ever. It takes you on such a ride because it's funny throughout, yes. But like you said, it's kind of emotional whiplash because you get, you get so many different emotions out of it. Like the nostalgia is great. The self-awareness makes you laugh. And... Then you have the really deep moments like Alexander saying his line finally and it meaning something. I can't say enough good things about it. I recommend it to anyone who has not seen it. Like this is a defining movie in my life. And <laughs> man, I, I fucking love it. I actually realized I didn't write anything down for do I like it or do I not like it. I just left it completely blank. Oh, I never do. You just ad lib it? I yeah, I ad lib it. I, as someone who loves Star Trek and sci-fi, like I grew up on TNG, this hit home for me so good in the best way because you kind of get to see both the behind the scenes and the the candid humanity of everybody, but also the sci-fi. Like it's kind of what you wish as a kid, like you wish it was real, you know, mm -hmm. and this leans into that feeling. I couldn't agree more. You said you've seen it once before, but... So this is your second time. What did you think of it, Zach? Yeah, so I have a very different relationship with this movie than you do. I didn't grow up with this movie. I haven't seen it a million times. You know, this movie is very misogynistic, which is hard to get past. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. No, yeah, I've watched it once before. It was maybe 10 years ago. Uh, at that point, I don't think i had seen a single episode of star trek so i got the general spoof of like it's it's kind of making fun of science fiction as kind of a the tropey aspects of the genre 
but I didn't get like the specific digs and I didn't get the specific references to like Shatner or the red shirts always dying. <laughs> Those were great. I remember like really enjoying the first time watching it the second time through God. It's maybe one of my favorite nineties movies. Now it is, it is incredible. It is so much fun. I remember pausing to take notes a couple times and just like being giddy. Yeah. Like, oh my God, this movie is so much fun. Specifically towards the end. Mm-hmm. There are so many fun moments at the end. This movie could have been made almost kind of as a stab at Star Trek culture. Like making fun of fans and making fun of, I'm sure, of what Star Trek actors would attest to is like overzealous fandom. But it's not. The fans are the ones who save the day. It's appreciation and adoration of fans of Star Trek. It kind of pokes fun at them, but also embraces them and makes them the heroes and stars of the show. And it kind of harkens to the mummy in a way that it's this awesome blend of action, comedy, drama in some ways, in some parts. Like in a lot of comedy movies, you get like somebody dying, but it's not as the payoff isn't as great as it is in this movie to to not ramble. Uh, you ramble all you want, man. I really loved it much more than I did the first time I watched it. Just this one watch through has made it become a beloved movie, in my opinion. Would you put it in your top 10? Of all time? Yeah. Ooh, very near. It may, man, it's it's certainly in the running. It's a sneaky candidate because, yes, it's a spoof of science fiction movies, but in and of itself, it's kind of a science fiction movie. Apparently... At one of the Star Trek conventions, there was like a one of the events was like a vote for ranking all the best Star Trek movies. This one's seventh best Star Trek movie of all time. Yeah, it's <laughs> it is truly a science fiction movie, even though it's a spoof, which should make it a comedy only and really should make it like arguably bad. Like spoofs are generally like crapped on and panned. This is great. It's the spoof movie that broke the fourth wall in the best way. Right. I actually don't think I'd put it in my top 10, but I would probably put it in my top 20. Okay. We need to make ourselves a couple of lists of best movies because like, I'll say offhand, like, this is in my top 10 movies. I've probably said that more than 10 times. <laughs> and I need to, need to actually make a list. I mean, I can safely say Galaxy Quest is in my top 10. <laughs> really. Truly. Okay. It is a work of art and I love it through and through. Rest in peace, Alan Rickman. Really? When I first started watching the movie, I remember thinking like he is really overplaying just how jaded the actor in the movie is, you know, playing the the character from the show. But towards the end, the payoff, he plays it so well once he has the change of heart. It's the reveal in Harry Potter all over again. It's true. I don't know if I mentioned this, this recording. This was before Harry Potter. This was before Alan Rickman was Snape. Mm-hmm. And so he was actually, he was a very classical actor. He was known for his work doing classic works, you know, Shakespearean even, kind of uh, in that way for him to take up the role at this point in his actual acting career was very in line with the character that he played. It just kind of shows his sense of humor and his not taking himself too seriously as an actor to take up this role. In our actual reality. Yeah, it makes me wonder why he did it. It's very reminiscent of Patrick Stewart taking up the role of a Starfleet captain when he saw himself above it when TNG first started. And of yeah. course, he 
ended up really embracing the role maybe a year or two later. Mitch. Yo. In every movie we've reviewed so far, there's always protagonists, there's always antagonists, but we've also always identified a true hero. Did you find yourself a true hero in Galaxy Quest? I did, my friend. True Hero is our segment about a character that kind of shines through as perhaps the actual savior of the movie plot, perhaps a out-of-the-blue surprise. My true hero for Galaxy Quest is Mathazar. Oh, okay. He is the leader of the Thermians. I guess he's a little bit closer to one of the main characters in that role, but... I'd still call him supporting at best. I am going to name him my true hero for a couple of reasons. One, he's the one who comes out of frame to knock out Ceres at the very end and keep him from killing everyone. That's like the obvious reason why. But more than that, Mathazar, I think, amplifies the humor of this movie tenfold. He's the reason why the Thermians have their like weird motions and their way of speaking and just makes them truly feel alien. And a lot of his lines are so quotable to me. Like, I watched this last night with Katie, and I can't tell you how many times I turned to her with the line on my lips of the thing he was about to say because I could just, I could just remember it and how <laughs> fucking hilarious it was. His role, his acting, and his humor just make the movie for me. Galaxy Quest would not be Galaxy Quest without the kooky-ass Thermians. And that's all because of Mathazar and because of um, the actor who played him, uh, Enrico Colantoni, really, for me, just makes Galaxy Quest Galaxy Quest. How about you, man? Admirable true hero. Oh, that's high praise. <laughs> <laughs> well, in comparison to yours, my true hero is absolutely banished to obscurity. I love an obscure true hero. Let's hear it, man. Mine, it's kind of a time code true hero. Okay. Do you happen to have the movie up? I'll pull it up. Okay. Without seeing it, you might have missed the true hero. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the best kind of true hero, the kind you miss. <laughs> oh, man. What's the time code? 135. One hour and 35 minutes. Okay. It's the very end scene when they're coming out on stage? Yes. Don't, don't play it yet. Okay. So... <laughs> Damn it, you played it. Is it the guy with the dart gun? You played it. <laughs> so it's when Saris walks off the ship. There's a guy behind Ken. It's it's Justin Long, Brandon's ultra nerd friend. Saris walks off the ship and a guy in the crowd immediately blasts him with three nerfs from his nerf gun. <laughs> as if that's actually going to help. I don't know if he thought he was part of the show or really a villain, but... He does his part in keeping with the true spirit of the true hero. He does something that is extraordinarily ridiculous and has almost no effect, but he tries. <laughs> oh, that's fucking great. Oh, that's good. I actually paused it right on the frame. <laughs> that is a wacky true hero, Zach. The best kind of true hero. Ultimately, how it was, uh, how it was devised. The true yeah, hero man. segment. All right, dude. It's time. Time we thank our sponsors? No. We can't forget the whole reason we do this podcast. 
at least the reason that we're named the dish is to compare this movie to a food that makes you feel the same way about it that you do the movie. Well said, my friend. <laughs> so my, <laughs> my, my okay. So my dish for this movie is you've heard the name recently. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> the expectant Mitch face is incredible. <laughs> if if anyone out there knows Mitch, you know what it's like to withhold information. Mitch is, Mitch is very ready for. Come on. Okay, so my, <laughs> are you going to tell me your dish? <laughs> I'm going to start crying. I'm going to do it. My dish is green Chicken enchiladas verde. Like the ones that we had when we watched the movie the other night? It is what I made very recently. Oh, shit. I had a movie night recently, had some people over, and the analogy essentially goes like this. These enchiladas are delicious. It doesn't take too long to make. They're not that difficult, but it's your kind of standard chicken enchiladas, but they are very good and kind of this braised... Uh, reduced liquid. He ain't lying. They're fucking great. I've had them. <laughs> that are made with a green chili verde sauce. They're very good. I actually found them from a YouTube channel that I follow. So maybe give Adam Ragusia a follow. Uh, that's where I found the recipe at. Unaffiliated with the Greatest Generation podcast. No relation at all. <laughs> but as all enchiladas exist, it looks kind of like a disaster. It looks like something you might not want to eat if you do a cross-section. You cut it open and it's just this goo inside. It's covering kind of burned-looking cheese. It's got like this weird green textury sauce on it. It just looks weird. Much like, honestly, the cover art for Galaxy Quest looks weird. If someone were to tell you what the movie is, much like if you were to judge this dish by its cover, you'd hear, oh, it's a spoof of Star Trek where these actors actually get looped into like this galactic conflict and they have to assume their roles as the actors they played in the show that they acted in. I hear that. I'm like on Shark Tank. I'm out. I'm I'm not going to watch that. That sounds horrible. But the movie is incredible. Like once you get past like the look of it, it's great. It is. It's so much fun. It's a blast. It's one of my favorite movies now, much like enchiladas you maybe have to kind of get past how it looks. It looks kind of like a train wreck, but they are delicious. They are a foundational staple food for me. For that reason, that's my dish. It's beautiful, man. Nicely done. On that same line of thinking, I read that Patrick Stewart, uh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard, uh, who, who played Captain Jean-Luc Picard from The Next Generation. He is him. It's real. It's all real. <laughs> <laughs> he initially didn't want to see the movie. Galaxy Quest? Yes. Really? He initially didn't want to watch it. I think he's he's kind of also a Alan Rickman type, at least when TNG first started. He's kind of like... Yeah, he was a Shakespearean actor before that. Yeah. Yeah. He's a thespian through and through. He was swayed to go watch the movie by a phone call from Jonathan Frakes, who played Will Riker. No way. Riker said, you have to go see this movie. Go watch it on a Saturday night in a full theater. <laughs> and Patrick Stewart said he went and watched it in a full theater, sat in the back, and quote, 
no one laughed louder or longer in the cinema than I did. <laughs> and oh, it's so great. I can't imagine. I don't know if you can. I can't God. imagine being in a theater watching Galaxy Quest and hearing the unmistakable laughter of Patrick Stewart, someone in the back of the theater, like, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> I would lose my shit. Oh, if I look back gosh. and saw Patrick Stewart back there. To be a holy fly shit. on the wall, to be sitting next to him in that theater. Oh, I know. That would be Jeez. insane. So Patrick Stewart had somewhat of a, sa- a similar mentality as me where it looks horrible. And it, this is not something I would want to watch, but give it a shot. It is great. Fuck yeah. Right on, dude. Dish me, Mitch. <clears throat> My dish for Galaxy Quest is... My grandmother's chili. <laughs> uh, <laughs> MSG and all. No, uh, so growing up, my grandmother, my grandma Jane, she lived in Pennsylvania in an old farmhouse built in like the 1830s, 1820s. It was a stop on the Underground Railroad. This place holds a very near and dear place in my memory. And we went up there religiously as a kid, like, Every year, three or four times, we'd go up and visit for several days. And my grandmother, pretty much like every time or every other time we'd come up, would make us chili. Now, she lived on a farm. Everything that she put in that chili came off of that farm, except for maybe like the tomato sauce. Oh, wow. It was always so delicious and really just hearty, makes you feel real good. But the thing about chili is, and my grandmother's chili included, is that it's always better the second day. Chili's great when it first comes off the stove, but after those flavors have had a, a chance to mold together, and you, you've, you know what I'm talking about. You've made chili. They, they get a meet and great. They get to know each other. They become friends. They become better. Yeah. The reason why this is Galaxy Quest for me is multifaceted. Firstly, the warm and fuzzy feeling that you get from eating your grandmother's chili is similar to how I feel watching Galaxy Quest. For me, it's something that I've experienced many times since I was a kid and it is just, it's a landmark in my memory for, for lots of great times and better times and times that I find peace in thinking about. It's a, it's a comfort, a true comfort, both watching the movie and eating the chili. Furthermore, with the chili getting better the second day, that's the character development that we see in Galaxy Quest. In the beginning, the cast of Galaxy Quest, they get along okay except for you know with the commander with tim allen who they don't really like that much all of them by the end of the movie have grown in some way to make them a really great team that works super well together and they're able to overcome unspeakable uneven odds and so that's the better the second day they develop and they become that warm and fuzzy mulling of flavors in the same way that grandma's chili is better the second day Great call, dude. I love how specific and granular granular you've gotten with your dishes. I didn't want to get down to the ingredients because I don't think that's necessary in this movie, but like But you have you you've broken it up and you have like a specific thing that you're calling out about the dish. There's some quality of the dish that either like of the ingredients or when you make it or it gets better the second day. Yeah. And that's how it relates to this movie. I think that's really interesting. And it's for me specifically, too. I mean, this may not be the same case for everyone. I'm sure there are some people out there who feel the same way about Galaxy Quest that I do. But it is a movie that I truly love that brings me both 
so much happiness in the humor and the Star Trek references. My favorite show of all time is Star Trek. Both that and the fact that we get to see that rebirth of the characters at the end. Well, food tastes are different, just like movie tastes. It's true. It's a very personalized taste. You could also say that uh, my grandmother used accent in pretty much all of her foods, accent being just a big-ass cardboard cylindrical shaker of MSG. <laughs> Maybe controversial opinion, but there's nothing wrong with MSG. Nothing wrong with MSG, and damn it, make it taste good. I guess that could be the the kookiness of the Thermians or something. But That's my dish, my grandmother's chili. Rest in peace, Grandma. Miss you. So I think this might have been in a pod which will never see the light of day, that being the first recording. This is episode 10. This is the end of our marketed season one. What will we do next? We've discussed some options, some things. I think at this point we are set on doing an interlude, like doing an episode where we... We talk about season one and then maybe in that decide exactly what we're going to do. But to give something to look forward to for those like three friends of ours who really like our podcast, <laughs> we plan to have an episode coming up here. It won't be nearly as long probably as as our main podcast. We want to go through and we want to talk about the the true heroes from and the henchmen and the dishes from each episode and maybe give ourselves some accolades for what we've done, talk about what we're going to do next. We've talked about maybe doing 80s or aughts or 90s again, and we'll figure out that as well. Yeah, we're just thinking about doing a uh, a, se- a general season one recap where we just go back and kind of take stock, summarize, and you know, kind of just dish about how we think it went. Yeah. Just do some general rank lists, maybe even what movies were our favorite of the ones we watched out of the 10 dishes we've done. We can talk about our our movie list and figure out, like, maybe say what the list is and add in some new ones to repopulate. It'll be a very masturbatory dish. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So for next season, I think a lot of what drove the dish, these 10 episodes, was it was kind of formed behind closed doors in that no one listen to it we just had a a list of movies that we just kind of like you know kind of pulled out of our butt to roll the dice for to figure out what was going on we're kind of hoping maybe for season two we could have like a listener inspired series of movie options i don't want to encroach on discussion material for the recap that we do in a couple of weeks but we have probably a month between now and the start of the second season where we start reviewing other movies Drop us a line if you have a suggestion. If you want us to do 80s, if you want us to do 2000s, if you want us to change format, we're thinking about changing format. We're thinking about doing a slightly different review style. No notes? (laughs) Maybe no notes. Who knows? Mitch is forbidden from taking notes. We are both forbidden from taking notes. (laughs) Notes are verboten. At least plot recap notes. You can get in touch with us at Dishing Through Decades. That is D-I-S. H-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-U-G-H-D-E-C-A-D-E-S at gmail.com. Goddamn, our email address is too long. <laughs> I know, it really is. Maybe that's why we don't get flooded with emails from our fans. There's a misspelled email address out there full of emails for our podcast. But yeah, truly, if you like our podcast, if you don't like our podcast, if you have suggestions, anything you'd like to tell us, let us know. 
<laughs> Maybe if we make it subliminal, like really quiet. Hey, man. <laughs> it's been a blast doing this first season with you, Zach. It has been unexpectedly fun doing it with you too, Mitch. I will save some of the masturbatory discussion for next <laughs> next episode. <laughs> I have had fun with you, man. As always, thanks to all our friends and listeners who give us feedback on the episodes. Let us know how we're doing. Even if it's not great feedback. We don't care. We can take it. Right. Let us know if you have negative feedback. And thanks again to The Greatest Generation for kind of passively inspiring us and maybe unwittingly letting us use some of their inside jokes in this episode. They'll probably be okay with it, probably. (laughs) If you do want to support us, the best thing you can do is go onto whatever podcast platform you're listening through, rate us highly, leave a review if it's possible. That goes a really, really long way, we assume, uh, (laughs) to to making us more visible and well-received to anybody who's trying to listen. Yeah, feedback is the engine that is kind of keeping this stupid experiment going. So if you have something you want to let us know, shoot us an email, give us a review. If it's less than five stars, maybe don't give us a review. (laughs) It's fine. We have no way to delete it. (laughs) That all is to say that our friends have given us pretty good feedback. And that's honestly one of the main reasons we're probably still going is because it's been well received by those that we know, biased as they are. Indeed. We're going to keep on doing it. It's only taken us, what, a year and a couple months to get out this first season? Second season should be out in under three, under four? Yeah, no big deal. We'll see you all in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Until then. I'm hitting stop. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just getting a shake. Until then, enjoy yourselves, and we're really looking forward to bringing you a second season. There you go. Dish out. Until then. Yeah, I don't have anything. (laughs) I don't. Until then. Wow, we cannot do this show live.